a man who didn't believe in near-death experiences dies and has a miraculous NDE with Jesus himself that would change his understanding of life on earth forever. That and a lot more on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, Brian Hoyland, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. No, it is totally my pleasure. Um, you have one of one of the most profound near-death experience testimonies that I've I've ever heard, and I've had the the chance to hear several at this point, you know, through this podcast and also just on my own time. And I'm really, really excited to get into that and and not only the experience itself, but how that changed you and, and your understanding of things on this side of life and on the other side. And, um, before we do get into all that, I want to go back to your childhood because this, you, you have a prayer that you, that you pray to God in your childhood that comes back later on during your near death experience. And I want to go ahead and just start with that. So can you explain to us what was this prayer? I think you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think you were like six years old at the time when you, you, you said this prayer, what was this prayer? Well, the only prayer that I had that was a, a repetitious prayer was the Our Father. Um, I did pray that, but it was it was more of a, just the heartfelt, you know, kind of crying out to God, you know, in, in a real innocent way. That's all that my my prayer was. But it was a long a long prayer. I just it wasn't anything that was, you know, uh, anything that I could I could recite to somebody to say, hey, this is what I had said. And, you know, pray this prayer and, and God will hear you. It wasn't, it wasn't a prayer like that. It was just the heartfelt talking to God as, as a child. And didn't this come to this prayer came at a time when some, someone had passed away yes. recently in your family? <clears throat> yeah. My uh, great grandmother had died and, you know, it was the first funeral that I, I remember going to that of somebody that I, I really cared about that I knew and, you know, had a really intimate relationship with. And, I saw how everybody else in my family was responding to it. And I, you know, I just didn't want to die young. And so I had asked God if he would just let me have a long life so that I didn't have to bring sadness to anybody else. And I felt like my prayer was answered. I, I felt this calmness and peace that came over me. And, you know, at one minute I was in the middle of, of distress and, you know, sadness. And instantly I just was filled with peace and, and actually just a, a calm and comfort kind of tranquil almost. Wow. And, and quite an experience too, for, for being so young and to have, for something like that, to have that kind of an impact on you. I think that says a lot. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I didn't even remember this prayer after, you know, all those years. And by the time I got, you know, when I went, when I died and, and re-experienced that memory in heaven, you know, it was, it was an eye opener to me because I saw how God was with me at different points in my life that, you know, through time and, and just, just getting, you know, more of that distance from those, those memories, we, we, they lose their, their impact on us. We start to get caught back up in the rest of the world and the the distractions of the world. And we forget that God has helped us throughout our lives. And that was just such an eye opener for me because it, it really made me realize that even from that very early age, he was with me. And I just, it just unfolded from there, all the different times that he had been with me. And you know, I often sat around patting myself on the back instead of realizing that I got a lot of grace to get through tough times because of him. Hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. And I'm excited to to uh, delve into that a little bit deeper here in a second. So is so you have that profound moment there uh, at a young age and we we go forward here a few years. If you could kind of give us an understanding uh, uh, on a couple parts of your life before we get into the experience itself. One, kind of what uh, was going on as it relates to your spiritual background. I understand you have you had a little bit of a background in Catholicism and, and Freemasonry. And also what was going on from a health perspective at this time, if you could kind of give us a brief understanding of that to kind of set the stage for us. Sure. Like you mean like right before I, before I started having medical issues or. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> that works. Um, just, I would say whatever it is that you think would be helpful for us oh. to understand just what well, was going up, on before you, you died. Sure. I, I grew up as a Protestant, so I was raised as a Protestant. Um, I didn't convert to Catholicism until I was 27 years old. So I, uh, I, you know, I didn't convert until later in life, but I, uh, yeah, I became a Freemason um, shortly after I became Catholic. I wasn't aware that, you know, as a Catholic, you're not supposed to be a Freemason. I found that out later um, that, that, you know, it was putting other gods before our God, putting them on the same level is the same thing as putting them above. Um, so that, you know, that was a real eye opener for me as well. But I, uh, you know, I, I was, I, I was very strong in my beliefs uh, as a Catholic but not strong enough to follow them. I was real lazy. I was lukewarm. You know, I didn't, uh, you know, I just didn't practice my faith the way that I should. And, and the way that I would want to, I, you know, I look back on it now and I, I'm really disappointed in things, but I think, you know, that was just me walking without God in my life fully. And, um, you know, it took this medical thing to really wake me up and make me realize that I, I'm not strong enough to get through every moment. And, and it came about in in August. It was August 26th of 2016. I just gotten home from work and I made dinner with my kids. And my wife had left to go to a, a girls' weekend at her family's cabin. And so me and the kids were home and have we're gonna have like a daddy's weekend. And you know we had dinner. We played some games that night and then we went to bed. And in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was throwing up and it was just it was terrible. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I heard a lot of stories about people having indigestion or some really bad, you know, stomach issues and their chest hurts and they called 911 and, you know, it seemed embarrassing. So I didn't want to call 911. <clears throat> but then the next morning, it still was there and it, you know, it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. So I did call 911 and uh, they came out. They shocked me. You know, they, they cut my clothes off the shock, the paddles on me and my kids were watching this the whole time and it was, it was really traumatic. It was, it was hard to see my kids seeing me in that condition, but uh, the look on their faces really, it, it, it just, it broke my heart. And I, I, I tried to do everything I could to, to continue to fight and to try to stay calm. And, you know, but when they, they wheeled me out, I, I, I the last thing I really remember, I, I was apparently still awake until they intubated me, but I, uh, I don't really remember a lot of it. And, and so the last thing I did remember, though, was when I was getting, you know, pushed out on the, the gurney to, to see my kids' faces. They were standing in the hallways. I went by. That was, that was really hard. Still, it's hard to to see those faces. But, you know, I I got taken to the ambulance and hauled off to the hospital. They called my wife, and a lot of this is you know just story that that my wife filled in. But you know, the doctors told her that you know he's not going to make it. You need to get here as fast as you can. And uh, when she got there. 
they already had 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 me intubated and you know i was out and they were doing a lot of testing and you know trying to work on me as best they could but they told her you know after a while look you might as well just go home there's nothing you can do tonight we'll call you if something happens um meaning that if i died but that was their prognosis is that i wasn't going to make it probably through the night or you know much longer after that if i did but <clears throat> by the next day i i started waking up and you know i wasn't coherent really but i <clears throat> i had started to come through it all, all of my organs shut down it was it, they didn't know what was happening but something with my heart my heart rate had gotten up to over 300 beats per minute and you know when they shocked me it came way down but it still wasn't anywhere where they wanted it to be and they ended up having to innovate me to try to help stabilize it but all of my organs shut down my lungs my liver my kidneys everything and so the the next day when i was waking up they, they said that was really good they were really happy they didn't expect it but they didn't think that i would be much more than a vegetable for the rest of my life and i would remain in the hospital and by that night i woke up and i you know i made them pull the tube out of my mouth and you know i couldn't couldn't really talk still i wasn't thinking properly as you know just come out of that but <laughs> i was thinking enough to try to explain to them what was going on so that was really positive and the doctors just kept saying wow this is this is getting amazing and i didn't see anything though i hadn't any kind of experience it was just black you know i just had no other experience other than waking up and wondering what happened to this amount of time that you know it had now been sunday evening and you know last thing i really remember was saturday morning but uh they uh they ended up telling me the next day what was going on and and you know so it was a real shock to me and immediately i just started praying to god i was like i can't believe you got me through this i i, I didn't deserve it i i didn't i knew i hadn't I didn't even really pray before before that situation and i just feel like his hands were on me to keep me safe during that <clears throat> so then you know in and out of the hospital for the next few months and i mean i was taking ambulance rides and you know, i've got a, a stack of those bracelets that go around your your, your wrist when you go into the, to the hospital I and mean, i was wow. in out of that hospital so often for the next few years but those next couple months were were really tough because they were trying to figure out what was happening but they had no diagnosis they they said you know we know you had a, some myocarditis but we don't really know what's going on there's some pericarditis you know they're throwing out the diagnoses that they could come up with but they had no clue what was the cause because they didn't have any of the typical heart um symptoms that that people have when they have heart issues so they were looking but not finding anything and without finding anything, they weren't able to really treat me. So I kept having these massive heart failure th issues, <clears throat> went to different places around the world, trying to, trying to get help and nobody was able to help me. And finally I, uh, went into cardiac arrest in January of 2017. And that night, uh, it was January 15th at, at about midnight. I started going into heart failure again and I had a, pace or defibrillator and it wasn't a pacemaker at the time but it wasn't shocking me so it wasn't taking me out of the arrhythmia and i guess i was just below the threshold so it couldn't actually take me out of the arrhythmia and so <clears throat> i go into the to the er and they work on me for seven hours they're trying to do everything they could to stabilize me finally they get me stabilized and 
they thought they could move me up to the ICU. And as they were transferring me to the bed in the ICU, I, my heart just immediately started, started rapidly increasing in, in heart rate to the point that the, you know, they called in the crash team. They started calling the code blue. I was sitting on the, the bed in, in the ICU and I, the only thing I could look at was a crucifix that was on the wall. So thankfully that was there because, you know, it was like a reminder that I, I still had, I still had prayer that I could, I could hold to because I had nothing else. There was nothing that a human being in that condition has left to do. It's all in God's hands. And, and it was really apparent seeing him, you know, seeing him there just looking down on me. And, you know, in this room, I could feel God's presence. I, I knew he was with me and, but I, I finally just, I gave in. I just said, there's nothing I can do. And I, I was sick of all the pain and the, you know, all that suffering that I was going through. And I just said, I'm, I'm done fighting. And, you know, I, I closed my eyes and didn't want to answer any more of the questions. And, Finally, the, you know, the doctors were like, hey, you, Brian, you, we need you to open your eyes. And I said, I'm not opening my eyes. And they said, we need you to answer these questions. And I said, I'm not talking anymore. And it was the hardest thing to get that, that last little bit out. Took all of my, the last bit of my strength, but I just laid back and I just was hoping to, to fall asleep to avoid the, the pain. But instantly I felt like this pop and this shake and my soul exited my body. Wow. And you know, that, that pop and that shake was like extremely painful, but it was over just like that. So it, it's almost as if I experienced no pain whatsoever. And <clears throat> all the pain that I had in the, the hospital room was gone. All the noise, all that chaos, the anxiety, the worry, everything was instantly gone. And I was filled with just peace and, and love and joy and just flooding into my soul. It, it was just the most wonderful experience to have that contrast between the two but i was i was looking at this dark void and it looked like outer space you know but like you see on you know pictures and but it didn't have the the stars or the planets or anything that you could visually see it was just blackness just completely dark and i was looking at this dark void and, and feeling this love and i said wow this can't be it and you know that was like the only thought of you know, a negative emotion that could have possibly came in my mind was this, this quick little thought that this can't be it. And I, I instantly realized I can't be seeing this darkness because I could see into the darkness. I could see the different layers and, and depths in the darkness. And I really I couldn't see that unless there was some sort of light shining in it, which I recognized was shining right behind me. And <clears throat> the reason I, I, I didn't recognize it at first is I wasn't aware that I was able to see in 360 degree vision. I, I was becoming more aware of the different senses and abilities that I had, but, you know, having something like that happen and filled with this, this high level of intelligence and, you know, just this clarity in your thinking, my vision, like I said, I was able to see depths in complete darkness and see, see just the, the layers of how, how far you were seeing and, so, I mean, my senses were highly increased and I could see behind me and there was this bright light and this light was clearly and obviously the source of that love and that peace. <clears throat> and it was, it was like just calling to my soul. It, it was, it was what was feeding my soul with that love. And my soul was just like naturally like impelled towards this light. So 
you know, I, I say I turned around, but I didn't really have to turn around. I just changed my focus. My focus now was completely on that light. I could still see the the dark void behind me and everything around me, but I was focused on this light. And I said, I want to be with that light. And as soon as I said that, it was like I was there instantly. But what was really cool about this is I could see every single step that I took. I mean, and it was, there was a lot of them because this was, this light was really far away. But those steps, it seemed like it didn't take me any time to get to that light. And what was really interesting is that I didn't feel any inertia or, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel any kind of wind flow or anything to, to, to give me kind of any kind of uh, idea that I was moving at that, that rate of a speed. So I, that to me was really interesting that, you know, I, I was there in that kind of a, you know, that instant. And yet there was all this memory of, of those steps that I took, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm standing before this light. I, I realized that it's going in all, all the directions, but I could see like all, I mean, I could see super far, but what was really cool about this is that I could visually kind of, you know, watch my vision as it was growing. So it was, you know, it's getting, you know, a mile away, two miles away. I'm continually with my eyes almost as if they were what was going, but I could still see everything else in between. I never lost my vision. I never lost sight of anything. Everything was still within my sight. But I realized with this light, there was something different. I couldn't see to the end of it. And I couldn't see the end of this way or that way or down, you know, I just knew that there was just no use to it, that the light was that immense. And, and it was just this beautiful, warm, bright light, but it was like alive. It, the, the, the properties of this light is so beyond what I could possibly do justice describing, but it was, it was as if this light was just permeating into my soul it was it was pulsating i could it could feel it like if, if i would have had a heart it would have been like beating with my heart or my heart would have been beating with it that wow. that light was the source of of all goodness and, and the only the only thing that you saw that wasn't that light was that dark void yeah it, yep. it was was that do you think was that like the the void that that transferred you into this area or what do you think that that was you know, that's, that's interesting. It, it, it certainly is a possibility. And, and you know, I, I, I'll explain more about that when I, when I get towards the end, when I'm going back into my body, because that's, that's actually where the, the hospital room was when I, when I went back into my body was where that dark void used to be. Mm-hmm. But the dark void seemed to have more of an essence than, you know, I, <clears throat> I didn't stick around long to, to, to investigate it. And I, you know, now in hindsight, I kind of wish I would have, but it was as if the dark void was trying to lure me into it. So I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel welcoming. I, I didn't feel like I should go in there. It felt like, like, like I was being told, you know, not to go into that darkness, but you know, I, like I said, I didn't choose to do that and I didn't investigate it further. So I can't really say for sure what that was. That's just my, my opinion. Sure. But I, it felt like I came in from the side of that, that, you know, that tunnel that I was in. So it would be, it kind of felt like I would have came in from the side of it. But like I said, I don't know. Cause I, I as soon as I closed, I was feeling like I was going to die. I said, I wanted to close my eyes and, and go to sleep. <clears throat> well, I didn't fall asleep. I did close my eyes. So I actually opened my eyes when I was in the other side and you know, so I don't know which way I came in. I didn't 
watch that, you know, as I left my body. Yeah. And I'm sure too, it wasn't, you had, you had much more appealing things going on around you. I'm sure that was the last <laughs> thing on your mind was to want to go back and look and explore that. Yeah. You know, especially with the light, I mean, the, the light, I can't, I can't really describe how this light is so you're so attracted to it because I mean, it, it's, it's the essence of all goodness, you know, and if you put, you know, you know, an Oreo cookie, I like Oreo cookies. I can put that on the table, but if I had that light, I'm always going to go to the light. You know, if you put a million dollars on a table and you have the light, I'm going to always go to the light. There's no option in the world as we know it that would make me want to choose that over that light. <clears throat> so that's how, just how beautiful and attracting this light was that, you know, it's, it's like your soul feels so drawn to it. So that, you know, I didn't want to stick around with that dark void. And, you know, it was <clears throat> anything I could do to get to that, to that light. But I, I do kind of, you know, I, I have suspicions about it that, you know, people might feel that, that love of that, the light, you know, the love of God entering into their soul. And if they're in that dark void and maybe they're tricked by whatever's in that, that dark void and they're lured in because they feel that love and they hear the, the trick. Maybe they go the wrong way because they don't know our Lord or they don't hear his voice. And, you know, I, I kind of worry about that for people that, you know, I, I sometimes I get male people saying, well, no, you're supposed to go into the dark void. And everything in my being told me not to go in the dark void. And, you know, like I said, your intelligence is increased immensely. Like there seems like there's no limitation to your intelligence when you're connected to God. So you're, you're pure spirit. You don't have the limitations of the body like we do. And so it, it was obvious that I didn't want to go in that dark void, but I, I kind of wonder where some of those, those, you know, opinions come from, but I don't know. I, like I said, I can only save my opinion and, and that's, that's theirs. I, I just guess that's kind of what I, where I stand on that. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you, you explaining that because and I think it's also interesting too, uh, that you, you point out, use the word that was kind of a seductive, uh, uh, area over there. And, and, and that really is a contrast compared to, it sounds like the, it seems like just the, the purity and the love that you were getting from, you know, the light around you. And it, it just seems like when we, when we view something like that on this side of things, it, it just reminds me of, you know, temptation and those types of things it just seems yeah. two two completely different, uh, types of, of feelings, even though they're both, they're both alluring we know one of them is, is not going to be beneficial for us in the long run. Right. It won't satiate for, for long. It's right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, and that's really what it felt like. It felt like I was in a, it, right, like in the middle of a battle, like on one side, there was, there was enemy with, with some evil intent. And on the other side is my protector, you know, trying to fight for me, but I'm, I'm laying in that middle of that battlefield and, really all it took was for me to roll over and I was safe, you know, I was, I was on the good side, but <clears throat> you know, it, it, it seemed like that moment, like I could have gone either way. Like there was, God wasn't going to force me to do anything. I, the whole time I was there, and this is, I think a question a lot of people really worry about is, will I lose who I am if I, if I give in and submit to God, will I somehow become something other than, than what I am. And I didn't lose any of my free will. I just, lost all temptation. There was no temptation, no evil to, to try to lure me. After I made that decision to go to the light, it was like I was freed from everything. Wow. And <clears throat> that was the, the beauty of it. And I think that's, that's really what God's about is that he wants us to be with him. And 
there will be no temptation when we're with him. We don't have to worry about that, but we will have our free will. Our free will just be wonderfully united with him. And, and how freeing that is, is, is beyond compare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, again, I really appreciate you uh, clarifying that and uh, just something that stood out to me when, when I've heard your testimony before. So, um, so, so you had a chance to see that you, you kind of go further ahead. You said it was several steps, but time uh, was not the same as it is on this side of things. Uh so you took the, the several steps. You have this increased awareness of things that are going on around you. you your senses are going 360 degrees around you. Uh, what happens next? Well, so now I'm, I'm looking at this light and I'm just like in love with this light, just staring at it and it just taking in the kind of, you know, the awe of God. I was just totally in awe of him, just how wonderful he was. And that's when he said that if I wanted, I could come in. So I immediately started walking into the light. And when I walked into the light, it was as if his love flowed into my soul so perfectly and so fully that it was as if I was almost like a funnel or a straw of some sort that, you know, some kind of a conduit that his love was going in and then coming out, going back into the rest of heaven. But I was never depleted. I never was empty of it. It was a constant flow of of his love just constantly coming in and just filling me full of him of him and his love and while it was happening it was like he was just shaving off all of this these horrible feelings of guilt or shame or anger was any resentments that i could have possibly had like attachments to to these things that were were bad were just shaved off like they were just gone i had no desire for anything like that I, I can't even think that somebody could even want to entertain those ideas. It's almost as if those, those concepts don't even exist. That's how far removed they are when you're in heaven. <clears throat> so after a little bit of walking there, <clears throat> and I say a little bit, but I, you know, how, I don't know how long I was walking. It was, it was longer than a little bit, you know, far as human time goes. But, but I, I said, I want to see Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the, the light opened up into this great room, which was encompassed by the whole light. But there were just a ton of beings in there. And these beings, they had a, like a human torso, but they were just sparkling light. And I mean, magnificently beautiful, but there was one that was so brilliantly beautiful, just as bright and, and vibrant as the light that had, is surrounding us. You know, it's, it's clear that this was Jesus there was there was no you know there was no sign that said hey you know here's jesus it's you just obviously knew there was no other question you knew that he was the only one there that's the only way and that's why you know i i say <clears throat> sorry i say about my uh my experience that you know jesus is the only one there it's because it was so obvious that you know somebody like me who believed that you know other faiths you know, we're going to get to heaven and you know I have, as a freemason i i didn't believe that that there was only one way and that was completely shattered and i'm looking at jesus and and i'm saying you know i i want to see your face and as soon as i said that i wanted to see his face <clears throat> his face started to come together but what was really interesting is that it was like this bright light was what i was able to memorize of his brain or his face 
but my brain wasn't able to lay down memory. And I assume that's probably because my brain was, was still back in, <clears throat> in my body, but, but it doesn't really work like that. It was, you know, it's my soul. My soul was still able to learn. It was, you know, retaining my memories of what I was experiencing at that moment, you know, but it wasn't retaining that memory of his face. And that, I don't know why, I don't know if that was something he prevented me from, but I could see that he was smiling at me and I could see what his face looked like, but I just had no memory to recall from. It was kind of like, you know, those picture books where somebody has a drawing on it and, you know, it's in one position now. And then on the next page is slightly different. Yeah. Flip through it. It, it seems like it's moving, but you never have that same image in your mind. It's always this quick snapshot of what's coming next. And that was what it was like. It was like, I had no memory of his face to be able to draw upon, to be able to say, oh yeah, that's Jesus' face. So it was just that bright light is all I was able to remember. But <clears throat> part of me thinks too now that, you know, I don't know if I could live the rest of my life having seen that because that smile that he had it was so warm and inviting, like everything that I, I experienced, all the suffering that I experienced beforehand was like a happy memory now. And that sounds so crazy, but it was like having experienced that level of suffering made his love fill that hole, that broken spot and heal it so fully that I wouldn't have probably been able to experience that without that hole there. You know, it had to have that hole in order for him to be able to fill it up with his love. So that was that was really an interesting part of that healing process that <clears throat> that really still makes me feel wonderful because I know that that there is no uh, negative purposes in, in life for our suffering. There's always a purpose behind it, a, a value that that will be displayed later. We just don't necessarily know the answer to that as we're living. And but, and. Well, I was just going to say real quick, Brian, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was going to contrast that between the way that you thought before this experience happened, because I would think before this experience happened, you didn't view suffering like that at all, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that you were necessarily looking at in in this kind of a way that was redemptive. No, definitely not. And, you know, I I was like any other human being. I avoided suffering at all costs, you know, the only kind of suffering that I enjoyed was working out really hard. You know, it was something that I was imposing on myself, but I knew that the benefit for me was later a stronger me. And this was different where I didn't have to do any action to get strong. I had to submit. I I only had to to get out of my, my own way and allow God to work his grace in me. And, and I was getting stronger. (laughs) So that was, you know, it was wonderful to be able to see how, how just accepting his will, whatever comes our way and just saying, I surrender to you, Lord, you know, is, is, is probably the easiest way we can live our lives, but we often just do the very opposite. And we, we fail to find his, his life vest that he throws out to us, you know, in those moments, Mm. because we're, we're still trying to do our own way. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Really well said. And, uh, I also wanted to, to ask you too, as this is going around, just, I haven't had a chance to, to, to ask you as far as like, did you, did you have a body at this point? And if so, did it look like your earthly body? And what were the, what were the colors that you were seeing? Were, are you able to explain those in human terms or is it kind of beyond our comprehension? Well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll do my best to explain it, but as far as the body, that's an excellent question. 
I really wish I would have looked at my body. I, for some reason, didn't feel the need to look at my body, but I did feel as if my essence was somehow contained in some sort of a structure. But it didn't feel like it was contained in a way that felt at all limiting. I didn't have, you know, I didn't feel pressure of, of any kind. I didn't feel hot or cold or hungry. You know, I didn't feel thirsty. I didn't feel any kind of, I felt complete contentment. But, but I did feel like, <clears throat> like my soul wasn't just oozing out all over the place. You know, it, it felt like I did have a, a being of some sort, but to my own, my own detriment, I didn't, I didn't bother to look and, you know, I, I regret that, but, you know, it was, it, it was wonderful to see the other bodies though. And I think that, you know, I, I guess I should, shouldn't probably assume it, but I would assume that mine was like that, or maybe because, you know, I wasn't crossing over. Maybe there's some different rules for what my body would look like, but it doesn't matter because I didn't bother to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then far as the colors go, there were, uh, the colors were so vibrant. So, you know, when I, when I tell you it looked like pink or green, doesn't mean that it was pink or green. It just means that it was similar to it. But I, the atmosphere had its own, its own color. Like you could see everything in the atmosphere was con everything that was there was connected through the atmosphere. It was like the breath of God. <laughs> and, and it was like a pinkish green, but it was, you know, that's really about the best I can describe of it, but it was alive. It was, it was moving. It was, it had its, its own living force. And, you know, I, I, I know it to be the Holy spirit, but it was, it was as if, everything that, you know, like my thinking, it, it didn't, telepathy is a good way of describing it, but it's not even as if it was telepathy. It was beyond that. It was, you know, when I would have a thought, it was like, it was in Jesus's mind at the same time. Like he knew that same thought where I also had that same ability. I, I don't think I could have like hijacked his mind, but I had open, he opened wide open for me. And so when he was talking to me, it was more of, he was thinking and I was able to to know what his mind was thinking. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. And, and, oh, go ahead. oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you just real quick as it relates to the, um, what you described for the thinking, it, did it seem like it was still an audible voice for you? Or was it just kind of ingrained? You weren't necessarily hearing anything. You just knew what was being said. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I would say it seemed like there was an audible voice, but it, it wasn't, it was just, it was so natural that whatever, you know, whatever I'm used to as a human being, it didn't even matter. It, it was as if this was the, the obvious, most natural way to, to communicate. So it didn't seem at all different. It, it, it seemed like it was just the the most improved way. I mean, I, I don't know. It was just, you seemed comfortable doing it, you know? So, it, mm -hmm. but it, but it seemed just like a normal conversation like me and you are having, but it was just so much more easily, easy to understand. And also to, to really feel to, you know, there was, there was no, no guessing at, <laughs> at what the, the content was or the intentions of a particular word were or definitions or, you know, any of that, you know, we didn't have to worry about mannerisms or body language. It was, it was so pure though. It was like, I knew exactly what, what he was getting at. And, hmm. But what, what I want to say is like with the vision, like I could see around all the objects that were there. So I like, 
I could see the front and the back of a person at the same time. So there was no wow. limitation as far as, as that goes either. So, you know, it's like when I, uh, I was looking at all these people, I could see the front and the back, you know, everything of, of everybody. So there was that part I thought was really cool too, is that there was just nothing hidden from, from my view and from my understanding. And <clears throat> cause like, even with my understanding, you know, as I'm staring at Jesus and he's smiling at me, we're reviewing all of my, my life, my life actions, you know, my whole life is right before me, but it was like, you know, time is, is so different there. You know, we think of it in a linear type fashion, you know, I was born in this state and went to kindergarten, went to high school, blah, 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 got married. You know, we, we look at these events and, and rightly so, because that's how we categorize them and organize them. But, you know, when we want to think about a memory, if I want to go back to kindergarten, I had to go all the way back to kindergarten, think about, you know, kind of go off to the side and leave the rest of my memories kind of put off in, in the back of my mind. <laughs> it's not that way in heaven. It's like everything is right there, you know, and and it's kind of like a, a pinpoint, uh, you know, you take a pen and you make a mark on a paper. It's like all of time is happening right there in that that little mark of time. But it's not confusing. You know, if, if we were to try to process all that information with our human minds, you you might be able to think about two things at once, but it's still going to get kind of jumbled up and get confused. Right. It wasn't at all confusing there. And the part of it is, is that, you know, you fixate or focus on one particular thing and everything else is in your periphery, but it's so easy to keep it all assembled when you're there. Now coming back, <clears throat> that's where it gets to be more of a difficulty because I don't have that level of intelligence. So I can't, you know, recall any of the things that were on the, the periphery. I have ideas of what they are, but that's where I think people kind of come back and they maybe they misunderstand some of the things that they saw because it seems like they're really, really strong memories, but they're also very blurry compared to the ones that I was really looking at and investigating. So all the different things that I went through, you know, the prayer and, and things like that, those are more strong, clear memories of my experience in heaven, because those were the things that we were focusing on. But, you know, like your life was, was there. I didn't know you at the time. So I didn't look at your life in that kind of a way. It was just accessible information that everybody in heaven has. So, wow. you know, that kind of stuff you're not able to bring back. And, but I think maybe people hold on to some of those things and say, Oh, I was, you know, I was reincarnated because I, you know, I saw somebody else's life. That must've been something I lived in the past instead of, you know, just, we have access to God's mind. So we're going to know everything. And all the beings that were there were explaining their, their lives to me too. And, you know, when I, I, I was deciding to come back, I, I was trying to think of reasons why, and people were explaining to me that, you know, that they had experienced those same kind of concerns in life, you know, things that they were worried about, you know, dying too soon because they wouldn't be able to accomplish things and how God, his plan is so much better that they have no regrets now. And, and they see that his plan was better and better than that they had wanted in, in their earthly lives. So that was really important, I think, because as I was reviewing my sins, you know, I, I was instantly feeling that forgiveness just because of the way he was looking at me. His, his smile is so, <clears throat> so warm and full of love that, that just seeing it, it makes you feel like these horrible things that you have done are like you're healed for them. Hmm. Wow. Because I think a lot of times we think 
you know, oh, it's going to be hard to be judged by God. And, but we're really hard on ourselves too. And, and we often fear that we won't be, you know, forgiven because of these horrible things that we've done. And he wants to forgive us. He's waiting for us just to recognize that what we've done is wrong. And that really is, is what he's waiting for. He just wants to be able to forgive us. <clears throat> but that smile is, it, it just speaks to you. You know that he wants to forgive you because you see even what, what your sin did to him. And yet here he is forgiving you and, and helping you to heal from that, that, the trauma of that sin too. Cause we, we do a lot of damage to our soul when we sin, you know, we're, we're putting up like throwing mud on ourselves and creating a barrier between us and God. And, you know, he's there trying to clean it off of us every time. And, trying to fill us with graces so that we don't fall back into that sin. <clears throat> and the whole time here we are down on earth, trying to live our own lives and do our own thing, which is constantly putting more mud on ourselves and keeping us from him. And so that's really what this, this was like. It was more like he was just cleansing me. And <clears throat> finally, you know, I asked him about that, that prayer that I had when I was a little kid and he said that he remembered the prayer and that it, it still exists, you know, or it still stands that he, he was going to stand by that. And he had, you know, said yes, obviously. <clears throat> so he's <clears throat> now he asked me, why do you want to go back? And so I'm trying to kick it around in my head why I would want to go back. Cause I mean, I, there really wasn't anything that I, I could say, well, you know, I need to go back for my family. And when I said that, he immediately showed me how he's already taken care of my family while I was here, how he was still going to take care of my family. And, you know, and it was an eye opener that God loves my family way more than I do. And, and, and that's really telling. And so I, I knew that wasn't something that I could just go back for just because I wanted to, to, you know, be there for my family and, and think that it, somehow I was doing these wonderful things as a father you know, all on my own. It was, it was always with his help anyway. And so, you know, I started kicking around, you know, I had to go back and, and continue to be good at my career. And I realized that was just, you know, my own ambition and, and pride. And <clears throat> so everything I was coming up with wasn't, wasn't standing. And, and as I was looking at him and I just felt this total love for him. And I just said, I, I know I could do more for you. And that's when he said, yes, that's what you can go back for. And it was, it was this pure, this, this purity. It wasn't like I was going, wanting to go back to do more for him, to get a reward. There was no reward offered. There was, there was nothing I was going to get from this. In fact, he later tells me that it's just, I'm going to have more suffering. But that wasn't why I wanted to go back. It was this, this just unconditional love for my soul that he had for me that I, I just, I, I couldn't help myself, but I wanted to just do more for him. And so as, as, as I said that I wanted to go back for that, he said that would, that I could do that. And he gave me three things that I needed to, to do when I went back. And those three things are, he told me to pray more and then to suffer joyfully and to share his love. <clears throat> and it's, <clears throat> and it's amazing that he, you know, he did that because he was telling me that, you know, when he wanted me to pray more, I always thought I was praying enough as it was, but he, he wanted me to make everything I do a prayer, even when I wasn't actively praying. If I'm at my job and I'm you know, working on things that don't seem to be related to God, but you don't know, need to be done. 
still doing them for God, not for, not for my boss, not for, for, you know, the job itself, not for anything other than that. I'm trying to do my place in God's world always is going to be pleasing to God. Then you throw in there how you're trying to do good for whatever it is you, your job does do good. You're, you're multiplying that, that good that you're doing and, <clears throat> and you're not doing evil. You're not doing things that are outside of that. You're putting yourself into some kind of a, a work. That's a prayer. <clears throat> so you can keep living your life in that way because we're, we're called to live like Christ. And, you know, he told me that, that being in constant prayer, always having my mind focused on God in some way is how I'm going to keep myself constantly following in Christ's path. And, and that's what I, what I need to do. And he said, that's how suffering joyfully is done is that <clears throat> when you're, you're connected to God and you realize that, you know, he came down from heaven, took our, our, you know, took on our form, became man and then died for our sins. That's, that's a powerful thing to think about. And that's a, a powerful message for us to follow. And that is a way that, <clears throat> we can unite our sufferings with his and we can maximize them, make them worth something. You know, in this life, we seem to suffer no matter what. I mean, it's, we all are growing older. People are going to have heart, heart issues and they're going to have, you know, autoimmune diseases that are going to attack their heart and then you're going to lose your heart. That does happen to people. People are going to get cancer. People are going to get things that happen to them and they're going to challenge their lives. And, and through that suffering though, and just accepting the fact that it is happening to us, but not getting bitter with the fact that what's so I want what's best for me. And I wish this was happening to somebody else. We say, okay, I understand. I've been the one who got it this time and I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to still love and I'm going to still show kindness and, and care for other people and still live my life <clears throat> for however long I have doing what, what is pleasing to God. That's, that's probably one of the most pleasing things we can do in this life. And then sharing his love is constantly putting, putting our neighbors, our neighbors well-being and getting to heaven, you know, putting that, that forward, remembering that sometimes somebody might say something rude to us and the real natural inclination is to defend ourselves and say something back or, or to stop them. But, you know, if that's going to be something that's going <clears> to <throat> cause that person to even step further away from from you know giving their life to christ then i'm going to keep my mouth shut i'd rather do that and swallow my pride and and take one for the team if you will because then that's that leaves that seed there to still be harvested and and, and planted and you know to grow and, and to god's love but if i disturb that soil it's not gonna it's not gonna grow anywhere so i i've learned that you know doing doing god's sharing god's love is is manifested in so many different ways, but it's always putting, putting ourselves into proper perspective and not trying to just be self-centered as, as we can often find ourselves in this world. So <clears throat> after he told me these things, he told me it was time to go. But <clears throat> as I've started to, to make my turn to go back, that's the only time in heaven that I felt any kind of discomfort. And it was sharp pains but it was every time I was getting further away from, from Jesus is when these pains were just so intense <clears throat> and I was getting closer to my, you know, my tunnel and, and I could see, you know, at the end of my tunnel, I could see really far and I could see that it was a long way off, but I could see my, uh, my hospital room 
you know, where my body was. I could see all the, the medical staff working on me. But, but behind me, that view of Jesus, I could still see him. But I was, like I said, I was still focused on it. But his was the one view that, that started to get dim. The more I kept going away, the more you can, I knew I was seeing him, but it was so filled with those distractions that were coming, you know, seeing what was happening in the hospital room. And, you know, I'll describe some of that stuff. But, but when I was looking at those things, that was taking my attention away from Jesus. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that life is, is that we always are going to have certain things in life that we have to deal with. And each one of them takes us away from Jesus. And that's where he was telling me with that prayer is to constantly keep him in our mind, because no matter what we're doing, if we're doing it with him also, because he is omnipresent, <clears throat> then we're, we're always going to be in constant union with him. And so that's kind of the goal of my life now is to keep that, that constant peace with him. But as I was, you know, walking towards my hospital room, I could see that they had this machine on me that was doing chest compressions It's called a Lucas machine. They ended up taking it off. And I suspect what was going on is they were about to call me dead, you know, cause I had been dead for over 10 minutes at this point. And so I'm getting closer to my room and, you know, I'm, I'm noticing where everybody is and what they're doing and, kind of the, the the general look and feel of the room. And then I get to my body and I'm, I didn't have to have anybody tell me how to get into it. I just got right back into my body and then I popped up and immediately as I, I popped up a little bit and I had been strapped down so I wouldn't flop off the bed when, when they were shocking me, I suppose. But I popped up and I looked at the doctor and I said, did I just die? <clears throat> and he couldn't quite hear me. I, you know, I had some stuff over my mouth some oxygen they were trying to pump into me and so they uh you know he had to come down real close to me and i i said it again and he looked at me like with this look on his face and he says yeah you, you just died so i mean i'm you, doctors hardly ever stutter this guy his nerves were so raw i i think he just had saw a patient of his die thought that he wasn't going to be able to bring him back and then immediately i just snapped back and I, I just, I still look at that and I, I still like to see his, his shock look on his face because that's how, how it feels like, I think, with, with God is that, you know, he can shock us with these miracles that he does. And and so then after that, you know, I, they had to put in a, a new defibrillator, but it had a pacemaker with it. The other one was on my side, down kind of underneath my armpit. And so they put this one on my upper chest. But <clears throat> since I, you know, I had, there was in such risky condition with my heart, they weren't able to, to use anesthesia. <clears throat> so they had to cut, cut into me and then put the, the leads down into my heart. And, you know, as they were doing this, I was still feeling really, feeling really positive. You know, I just did come, come back from heaven. I was full of ecstasy and just joy, you know, was permeated into my soul. So it wasn't like it was leaving anytime soon. But I remember just having this wonderful conversation with the doctor. I kind of would have been okay with, with not having a conversation at all. But I, I kept thinking, wow, I can't believe this doesn't even hurt at all. I, I felt a little pinch when they when they were cutting, but you know, nothing major. And it was really the most mild thing I've ever experienced. And it was because I was just so full of, of God's love that nothing could get through. And I think, you know, as I look at that, I, I really want to practice to be able to get back to that. I'm not quite there yet. So, you know, that's just a disclaimer, but I, I think that it's possible. I, I think that we all can get that kind of a relationship with God, that kind of closeness. And it's, 
you know, it's, it's, it comes down to trust. It's, it really is. <clears throat> that's the way to handle suffering is, you know, we have to be able to trust that God has, has the best for us. It's, it's kind of like when, you know, Jesus was asleep in the boat and the disciples were all afraid the storm was going to, you know, sink them and they were all going to die. And these, you know, a lot of these guys were fishermen. They were, they were used to being on the sea. So this storm had to be really terrible, but here's Jesus. He's, he's asleep. He's comfortable. <clears throat> and he, he wakes up and he, you know, he's, he says to the storm, peace, be still. And immediately it's quiet. And I think of our lives like that, you know, and think of the problems that we have that come and, and go, but you know, Jesus is there and he's in the peace, even in those storms. You know, the whole time that I, I had to go until my heart transplant, which was another two years after my, my, my uh, cardiac arrest. So I had to go another two years with a heart that didn't function. And if you don't have a good picture of it, I'll send you one so you can post that too. Because the devastation that happened to my heart, the doctors pointed out and said, you know, your heart shouldn't have functioned because of here, here, and here, you had too much damage. <clears throat> your heart shouldn't, shouldn't have been able to function at all. And, and so that to me, is it, you know, it, I, my heart was in God's hands and he was just keeping me alive, pumping my heart for me. And, and that's like, that that storm you know it's he's he's got the peace and he's there in there waiting for us to just join with him and unite ourselves to whatever may come but then you know you you ride out that storm for two years wondering if you're going to get to a heart transplant and then before you feel like you're going to die again because that's what happened the day that i was i ended up getting the call for my heart transplant i told my mom i said i, I hope i wake up but i'm going to take a nap i i don't feel good i think that that it's getting really close to the end and I woke up to my the phone call for my heart transplant. And so, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's like, sometimes we feel like God isn't answering our prayers because his time seems to, to not, you know, correlate with well with what we have as a time frame. But if he answered our prayers right when we asked him, wouldn't we often think that it was just bound to happen anyway, or somehow we did something that, that, made this this new change happen for us but it's it's when we give up almost all hope when we start to get to that point where we say there's nothing left it's only you god i i can't hope for anything in this world to save me from this you've got to do it and then all of a sudden it happens that that strengthens our faith in a way that that just handing it to us wouldn't do and that's what i learned point. That's how he works in my life. And, and I am assuming that's how he works in other people's lives. Yeah, great point. I really like the way that you said that, that there would be something lost there, wouldn't it, if, if that was the way that it yeah. was. And um, and just a phenomenal testimony. And uh, I, I just a couple clarifying questions. Um, one, I guess, just like when you when you come back from something like that, I think about people talking about their lives. Like sometimes like people will talk about how, you know, high school, was that was the best time of my life. And then it's, it's gone. And now everything's kind of gone downhill, or it's just not as good as that time was you, you, in a way, you know, people could hear your, your testimony and say, well, that must've been the best time of your life, you know, when you were dead for that yeah. amount of time and, and to come back after experiencing perfection and to have to go through everything you just described, you know, just coming back would be tough. And then you know, having to wait two years um, for that, for that procedure. I mean, that, had to have been really, really tough. So how, how were you able to, to, uh, overcome that 
that feeling of, well, I just came out of perfection and now I have to endure living on this, you know, on, on in this flawed existence again. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it, it it sometimes it's it takes reminding myself that I chose to do this for God, you know, and it just it it only takes me a, a minute to remember that because then it off, off automatically makes me remember why I chose to, and it's because of how much He loves me. And whenever I think about that, whenever I think about how much He loves me, I just I can't help but to think that I could endure anything. You know, it's <clears throat> I read about about a lot of Christians who have been martyred for the faith over over the centuries and. When you hear about these wonderful examples of, of strong, faith-filled people who, who died for their God, you know, <clears throat> I think about that now and I'm like, I get it. I totally get it now <clears throat> because there's, there's nothing that would, would sway me from, from my God just because of how much he loves me, not for any other reason. <clears throat> it's just that the fact that he loves the way that he loves, that you don't have to worry. You don't have to, to, to put up the fears that the world does to us, you know, it, it'll always tell us that we're not going to make it through things and that we're never going to be enough. And, you know, if we just do this, it'll be so much easier. And it's always trying to tell us to take the easy way out. But really that, that, that way out, you know, is often filled with so much peril and so much disaster that it never is an easier way. It's always comes with more complications, but, but we still kind of get drawn into it. And, now it's it's as if that love just keeps me straight on the focus of Jesus, and I really try to live my life the way that my my near death experience was, and it was <clears throat> that constant focus on Jesus. I I look at my near death experience and going from that dark void, all the way to my end of my my line was all a straight path towards Jesus. There was, you know, I didn't I don't I didn't find myself trying to look off for a lot of other things that I. In hindsight, I would say, oh, I wish I would have had answers to this, but it wasn't like that. I think it was because I didn't didn't believe in near-death experiences before this, that I was really more about trying to find answers to the questions that I personally had about the, you know, the like just consciousness, things like that. And, <clears throat> you know, suffering was a huge one, purpose. Those were the things that I was really trying to figure out. And they all lead right to Jesus, every single one. And to me, that, that speaks more because now every time I have anything that comes up to me, I just think about Jesus and I, I'm like, yeah, you got it. I know you love me. If you want me to, to have another day's breath, you're going to let me have it because I went two years when the doctors couldn't do anything for me and he did. So it just, it doesn't shake me at all anymore. And I think that that helps, but it's, it's this, this trust, you know, and I, I've, I don't know. I, I know that other people can do this without having to see Jesus. And that's, that's beautiful to me. I, I really, I'm so drawn to people. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times you, you see the, the little old ladies at church. I get drawn to them because they just have this beautiful faith that just, that you can't help but to want to talk to them and, you know, Hey, what prayers are you praying? You know, I, I, I want to say some of the same ones you do and will you pray for me and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Another question that comes up for me is thinking about, you know, who you were before the experience. And uh, as I understand, you were, you were a psychotherapist before the experience, right? Yeah. And so I think about that and, um, you know, there's people that are listening to this that may be doing something similar. They're, they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, you know, and I, I'm in that line of work as well as a, as a therapist and, 
and pe- people in, in my line of work, a lot of times in your line of work, they, they do feel like they're already doing enough. They feel like, okay, my, my work, I'm, I'm, I'm helping people on a daily basis. I think I am doing good things right now. I, this God thing. I'm not sure about that. Like I, you know, I, I, I kind of worry about that, but I, I feel like I'm do, what I'm doing for the most part. I live a good life. I'm good enough. Did you get a sense from your, your experience in heaven as far as like, you know, because I understand you've also said before that when you, you had a chance to understand how different decisions, you could feel how those decisions impacted people in ways that you can't process maybe on, on this side of life. So is it just to the extent of people like that, like when they are living their life that way and living their life as far as like trying to help people, but they're, they're not doing enough for God. Is that kind of what you got from the other side? Like when you were getting that understanding of how that's impacting the world? Yeah, or ab- yeah, absolutely. No, you, you nailed it right on. I, you know, I, I always held myself to a real high standard, um, but that was my personal standard. You know, I, I always said, I want to live a life of honor and integrity. So I, I didn't want to, you know, it's like lying. People will lie, you know, I'll tell my wife sometimes, yeah, I like that, you know, that outfit or whatever, because I know she likes it, but she's going to feel self-conscious if, if I don't give my stamp of approval, but it's just not my color. That's, it doesn't mean I don't like how it looks on her. It just means I don't particularly care for the color, but that's too much to get into. Right. So I'll tell a little lie sometimes. And yet those are, those are still lies, but they're, they're something that, you know, I would have excused, you know, back, back in the day, but but big things, I had real strong lines that I wouldn't cross, you know, and that, but that was always about my honor. So it was still about patting me on the back. <clears throat> it was good. It was good things that the world would say, hey, he's a good man. He, you know, he's doing all these great things. He's working with, with populations that, that are vulnerable and, and, you know, often marginalized and, and don't receive the kind of care that they, they typically other populations would get. And people would say, oh, he's a great man for doing that. But partly, I like I like a challenge. That doesn't make me a great man because I enjoy a challenge that in that capacity. But you know, now things have shifted to where I'm looking at what what does it take to help a person to be able to be open to getting to heaven? You know, I'm not I'm not fooling myself and saying I'm helping somebody get to heaven. I'm I'm going to help in that process, but I can't do it for them. You know, that comes from grace from God. <laughs> but I can certainly be be a hindrance to that person receiving that grace if I'm doing something negative. And I also can help to smooth that out if I do something positive. So my my goal is now is to try to always do what's best for somebody because of God, because it's right with God, not because it's right with me. And that means now that I have to really evaluate what I'm doing, what are my intentions, you know, looking at my heart and saying, am I doing this simply because it makes me feel good? Or, or am I doing it because of a greater reason? And then I can naturally get that greater reason because I'm consciously thinking about it. I still might do the same action, but I'm actually thinking about God as opposed to just thinking about how I'm doing something wonderful and patting myself on the back for it. Hmm. Wow. It all comes back to that relationship and, and, and that trust, like you said, and, and yeah. the love that comes from that. And the perspective, you know, it's, hmm you know, it's, it's a lot of it is just constantly keeping our perspective on God as opposed to on ourselves. you know, and a lot of times people will say, you know, Buddhists, they're such a peaceful religion and so wonderful and loving. And, and it seems all true, but Buddhism is, is a lot about inner peace. 
that that going into themselves and you know focusing on themselves which comes from a place of self-centeredness you know where christianity is is the opposite is to put ourselves to the side and putting god and our neighbor first <clears throat> you know to put put our neighbor as ourselves means that we have to wish that our neighbor would go to heaven that means i have to often sacrifice a lot of things that 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 i would maybe want in order to help somebody get to heaven because i can't i can't always take the lead on everything and that's one of the things that i've learned from my experience is that you know often i i don't try to pick what movie we're going to watch or what we're going to have for dinner you know or what's the conversation i'm going to have with a person i just let let it go with the flow a lot of times now because <clears throat> i don't want to be the one to always control everything you know <clears throat> i want to be a little bit more patient and a little bit more humble and allow other people to have their will take place and <clears throat> i found that what what it does is god opens up more possibilities for me to to talk to that person and testify to them than if i'm directly trying to dive in there and that's been a big big help for me because i used to be the kind of person who would you know want to just convince people and say well here's the logical you know here's the logical conclusion it's all right here but that doesn't work we know that doesn't work for people you know it's right. you get caught up in a belief system and it's often about emotions not about logic and you have to convince people that there's there's something more and and we have logic and emotion god is love and it comes with an action and with a feeling mm. yeah no one more thing i want to highlight here and then we can um show people where they can find your book and, and find you on on youtube is um I, th I just think it's worth pointing out that you before you had this experience this wasn't something it wasn't like you were out searching these types of experiences like looking into near-death experiences you you were actually pretty skeptical of all this before this happened isn't that right absolutely yeah yeah so, I, oh go ahead so i still have watched very few near-death experiences and you know i kind of found that even now it's it, they don't appeal to me as much because you know i saw jesus i mean i i i actually saw jesus so you know i don't know what other people saw i believe i believe they did because i hear a lot of stories and it's like well they clearly saw the same things i did they're describing it just like i did <clears throat> so it's it's not a belief thing anymore <clears throat> now for me it's just because i can go to my memory and my head and it's better than any it's better than my real life so i can sit there and think about that anytime i want that just is what appeals to me so i i see why people are are drawn to these now but but it was my skeptical nature is what kept me away from it i didn't even i didn't even give it a fair chance i didn't even listen to any nds i didn't i just assumed it was neurotransmitters being released after after death and you know i i just kind of blindly went with what what some scientists say and then i just ignored what the other scientists had to say mm. wow um well, th Brian, this has been absolutely phenomenal and uh, want to make sure, like I said, people have an opportunity to connect with you. Uh, first, I'll show the book here from Sudden Death to Paradise, the story of a near-death experience. And uh, people can get that on Amazon. And I assume that people can get a kind of more broad and fuller picture of your story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it goes really in depth with my, you know, all the from the medical issues all the way through to the to the transplant. Awesome. And, and, uh, you also have a, uh, YouTube channel, which I really like called the psychology of heaven 
with T.S. Dismas and yes. some some beautiful testimonies there that that you have. And uh, can you kind of give people an understanding what, what people what they can find on on your YouTube channel? Yeah, you know, on this channel, I'm just trying to bring forward messages of hope. You know, people who are going through different different things in their lives, different having different walks, and <clears throat> finding that that their walks with God are bringing more of a similarity. We all have you know different paths we take in life, but but when we when we hold on to God's hand, it seems to there seems to be a lot of similarities that we have, but it's it's all of us come to the same generalization that <clears throat> that that we all have to to have that love and that peace in our lives. And once we find that, our lives can still be magnificent and wonderful no matter what we've faced. And uh, people can also connect with you on Facebook as well. Uh, just T T S Dismiss, and again, I'll put all the links below in the description. Um, and, uh, Brian, I just want to thank you again, uh, for, for joining us and being so generous with your time and, and all your insight. And, and, uh, again, just, I, I really appreciate all you're doing for the kingdom and, uh, looking forward to, to, to seeing your channel continue to grow and, and looking forward to the impact that you continue to make through Christ. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.